Hi, everybody. Happy New Year, and welcome to the January 4th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. In addition to starting the new year, we are also kicking off our 27th season of Colorado Inside Out. That's right, 27 seasons. Thank you so much for making all of that possible. Oh, and if any of you are wondering about my Christmas tie, yes, it is still Christmas. It is the 11th day of Christmas, to be exact. So feel free to listen to 11 Pipers piping while you enjoy the show. All right, let's get a quick take on the U.S. Olympic Committee deciding that Salt Lake City will be the only U.S. city in contention to host the 2030 Winter Olympics, eliminating Denver from the contentious conversation. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, this seems like a Christmas present delivered early to many Denver officials who were, it seems, fighting the good fight of, yes, we should host the Olympics, but nobody seemed to want this. What do you think? including our governor-elect, Jared Polis, who had already said he didn't think he wanted to. So it is also the curse of filming in advance, Mm -hmm. two weeks in advance on that show, when poor (laughs) Eric got stuck talking about it. And even before the show aired, I believe, the plug had been pulled. Salt Lake City is the one in contention for the U.S., but that doesn't mean Salt Lake City will get it. That's a very good point. It could go uh, internationally. I just leave that as the last U.S. city. Uh, Ross Kaminsky, uh, talk show host on 630 KHOW in the mornings. Uh, was anybody in Denver sad to see this uh, go the way of Salt Lake City? You know, I actually did this topic on my show with, with listeners. Not a single caller was in favor of, of having it here. From the traffic, litter, everything, you know, uh, hotel prices going up when we all want to go to Vail or Beaver or Winter Park or wherever in the winter. Nobody wanted it, including me. Good riddance. Ian Silveri, Executive Director of Progress Now Colorado, joins us. Uh, Ian, I, I saw one of the articles say, well, uh, for Salt Lake City, it's going to be a bargain. It's only going to be $1.6 billion, where everybody else wanted over $100 billion. Where uh, $1.6 billion was the bargain. I could see why people in Colorado weren't excited. Uh, do you join the chorus that is uh, happy to see it go Salt Lake City's way? Yeah, I mean, it's it, every city, state, country that gets the Olympics has a massive problem during or after when it comes to empty stadiums that sit there like ghost towns for years and years with a massive amount of problems it causes, like Ross pointed out. Furthermore, the taxpayers in Colorado are not interested in that. They want better funded schools. They want higher teacher pay. They don't want to give a bunch of money out to Olympians or the Olympic Committee. So I join the, the other folks at the table here and all of Ross's listeners, apparently, <laughs> which is interesting and say no thanks. <laughs> that might be a first when you say that uh, Ian joins all the listeners of uh, Ross's show. But hey, that's a call inside us for. Rounding out the panel, Krista Kafer, columnist with the Denver Post, among various other things you do for the Colorado community. Uh, wrap it up for us. What do you think about uh, Denver losing out, but seemingly, seemingly pretty happy about losing out? I'm so bummed. Tears every night. Um, just, it really, really upset me. No, I'm not going to break ranks here. Everybody is glad that it's, it's not going to come here. And think about I-70. I mean, I-70 is already packed. Even as we speak, it is packed with people and cars and anger. <laughs> we don't need uh, more of that. So, you know what? Let Utah do it. That makes sense to me. The Colorado legislature kicks off the 2019 session today a little earlier than usual due to Jared Polis being sworn in as governor next Tuesday. Among the first bills being introduced in the session will likely include proposals to create a state-backed health insurance program. Patty, will, do you think this session is going to start off fast and furious? 
it already has started off fast and furious, even before Polis delivers his magnum opus speech next week, setting his agenda. You can see lawmakers are doing it right now. We've had two protests already. Colorado Rising was outside the Capitol this morning talking about fracking. So we're going to see some kind of fracking initiative going through the legislature. We know we'll see health care going through legislature. We'll know we'll see education going through. And very first of all, there's going to be this bit of housekeeping. If anyone has a small business, they know just how crazy the new sales tax issue became when you've got 71 different municipalities with all different tax levels, including Denver, which just increased its tax by 0.66% with the four ballot measures we pushed. And retailers were supposed to calculate that tax for all online purchases. 71 different municipalities, so this legislature has to fix that first. Business is already worried that the Democrats are going to be going against them. This is one fix that they can help business with. Ross, I want to uh, piggyback on something that uh, Patty had said, mentioned about uh, Colorado Rising, because uh, they not only hired Joe, uh, former Representative Joe Salazar, but they're coming right out of the chute saying, hey, yeah, we lost in November, but... And I can understand why, almost taking it as a victory at 42% after getting millions of dollars thrown at them. Uh, it, it, it feels that there is going to be a lot of different activist groups that are going to want to push this full democratic government that we have right now, uh, at least even further left. Do you think they'll be successful? Well, you know, if there's any place they might, it'd be Colorado now with Jared Polis and a full Democratic uh, legislature. I actually think there are obvious and interesting parallels with the federal government. You saw Nancy Pelosi kind of slapping down Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez a couple of times, including on climate change-related stuff yesterday. It'll be interesting to see see here in Colorado. I, I don't think they will be too successful in large part because I think Jared Polis will either want to be reelected or run for president, and you can't do that by being portrayed as far, far left. Um, let me add just two other quick things. You mentioned a bunch of possible mm-hmm. bills coming out fast and furious. Um, I think two of the very first bills coming out of the legislature will be paid family leave, could be the very first bill, paid family leave. It'll be interesting to see how Jared handles that one because... I see that as a potential job killer, a very large tax increase, although they won't call it that. And then a red, a red flag bill. We'll see what happens there. Maybe we'll talk about it more later in the show. Sure. Uh, Ian, there's a lot of different issues that uh, the entire legislature can pick from to, to work on quickly. One of them that was one of the biggest during the election last year was transportation. But at least from what we've heard from the Speaker of the House, that doesn't seem like it's going to be a high priority. Do you think transportation is going to be addressed more than just a, a little bit here and there in this session? Sure, it's got to be. But I think they have to figure out exactly what the voters want. There were two initiatives. One that said you can have your cake and eat it too without raising taxes. Caldera brought that. The voters saw right through that ruse. It was going to cost public education and health care a ton of money to pay back bondholders. It wasn't going to work. And then the business community brought Proposition 110, spent $10 million on it, went down in flames. So those are two propositions the voters were not interested in. The legislature has to figure something out, especially with ski season coming up, tourism being a huge industry in Colorado. It's really important. But I want to go back to what Ross said for one second, because I do agree that paid family and medical leave is going to be a top priority for the legislature this year. But the fact is, 
they can't raise taxes. That's not how this works. You know that. Tabor exists, so the legislature can't raise taxes. Besides the fact... They'll call it a fee. Well, listen, the, the, the Senate Republicans spent the entire legislative election this time talking about the legislative, the sort of target races, the swing seats, having raised taxes by $2.5 million, 25000 a family. It never happened. The legislators know that. So they're just going to do the right thing because the big special interests pushing negative campaigns against them are just going to lie anyway. Well, Krista, do you think there are any subtle lines in the sand, whether that comes from the governor's office or perhaps uh, the president of the Senate, where uh, most of the Democrats aren't going to go? Something like, okay, we, we can go this far, but eh, not this far. You know, I think uh, there's plenty of opportunity to go too far. In fact, as a Republican, I'm kind of hoping they will, because then you're going to get a little bit of backlash. The opportunity to go too far definitely is with public insurance. Everybody knows that Medicaid and the Veterans Affairs, uh, 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 medicine run through the, uh, the, the, that bureau, uh, you know, rations care. And I've seen socialized medicine up close. I saw a friend of mine die of cancer that he would have been able to conquer here because of rationing in England. It is a terrible system. So my line in the sand is this. You go with any kind of socialized medicine in this state, even if they can find a way to make it affordable, and I'm not sure how they could do that, i, I got to go to Idaho. That's my line in the sand. I, my, I care too much about my health. Also, family leave. <clears throat> As a single woman with no kids, how is that fair to me? Um, I hope that they will keep in mind that not everybody has kids and that some people would like to be able to opt out for that. I would rather have money in my paycheck than have a family leave option. I think on behalf of Wyoming, Wyoming would be bummed if your, your line is all ready to Idaho, but I, I totally understand. That Wyoming, I'm open to Wyoming. <laughs> okay, all right. At least the, the, the northwest half? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. On Tuesday, John Hickenlooper's tenure as governor of Colorado officially comes to an end. What's next for John Hickenlooper may include a run for president or for the U.S. Senate or maybe something completely different. Let's take a moment to look at the legacy of his eight years as governor of Colorado. Ross, you're first up. What do you think is the key legacy, uh, if not the bumper sticker, the short phrase that people are going to remember the eight years of John Hickenlooper as governor of Colorado? First thing that comes to my mind is Aurora in the aftermath in a couple of different ways. I thought he did a very good job comforting this state. I was very impressed by that. And then I was not so impressed, uh, sitting in the Dave Copel chair upholding the Second Amendment, um, I was not so impressed with his leading this kind of mindless anti-gun stuff through the legislature that is still, you know, bumming me out as an aficionado of the shooting sports today. Uh, also, I would say, as a fairly liberal guy, him not me, in a fairly liberal state, uh, he could have been a lot worse. And I, I actually think Hickenlooper might get a little further than some people think in terms of a run for president. Hmm. Uh, Ian, John Hickluber seemed to pride himself in being somewhat moderate, even though maybe his issues and some policies weren't so moderate, but trying to come across as moderate and bringing people together. Uh, that impressed some people, but also drove some people crazy. Uh, what do you think about that part of his legacy? Well, I think it's obvious that he was a unifier in a lot of ways. I mean, having been in, I worked in the Capitol basically through the entire Hickenlooper administration as a staffer for the minority and then the majority office in the House. And we had both chambers in 2013 and 14 and did some really great progressive stuff. And he signed all of the bills that we put in front of him that were part of a big progressive agenda, including gun safety laws. By the way, no one's come to take your guns yet, have they? 
<laughs> Glad to hear that. Um, second of all, um, you know, he, he is really good at, at bringing people together. And then when there were split chambers, right, when the Senate was controlled by Republicans for the last four years, passed a balanced budget every year, only went to special session over issues that he thought were really important that couldn't get done, and got a lot of great things done in a bipartisan fashion. Construction defects, which I disagreed with wholeheartedly, but it got done. Um, some transportation money, dedicated funding out of the general fund for the first time ever. $50 million in ongoing funding for K-12 just last year. So there's a lot to be proud of in the legacy. And I think, look, if voters are looking for somebody different, not a huge liberal firebrand to take down Trump, they want somebody more moderate, he's a pretty good character for that seat. Yeah, I think so. Krista, do you think John Hickler will be, uh, maybe if not the last, one of the last Democratic governors who could also be considered, if not pro-energy, at least Mm -hmm. energy-friendly, being a former geologist? Yeah, I do. And it's one of the things that I liked about him. I disagreed with him on a lot of other stuff, whether it's driver's license for illegal people who are here illegally or the the tax tax increases that he championed and and, uh, Medicaid expansion, some other things. I appreciated him on two things. And one is that he held the line on energy. As a geologist, he knows that fracking does not hurt groundwater. He knows that it's what unlocks natural gas, which actually helps us combat of global warming. It's better than coal, right? So he is, he's a good guy on that. I also just like the fact that he's a civil person. I like the fact that he saw himself as the governor of the whole state, not just the governor of Democrats. I like the fact the way, I liked how he treated people in public. Um, I, I like the fact that he's nice. Um, I've actually encouraged him. I've told him, I, I want you to run for president because I want people like that, whether you vote for them or you don't vote for them on policy. I think America deserves people like that. They deserve civil statesman, and that's what Hickenlooper is. Patty, you know John Hickenlooper very well. What do you think he thinks his legacy will be? Oh, I don't think he thinks his legacy has been carved yet. But when you think about it, I met him when he was, he, the day he opened the wine coop across the street from the Westward office. And one of the things that's been interesting about how he's governed is kind of as a restaurateur. So you are giving people, you are trying to make all your customers happy. And sometimes that means you're going to make everybody unhappy because you take a favorite item off the menu. But still, that was one of the things, uh, the conciliatory bringing people together definitely increased our national profile in a lot of ways. Colorado has an outsized conception of itself, partly because Hickenlooper did get so many national headlines. Lots of columns talking about kind of the uniter in chief that he was. Um, And that that could hold him. Certainly, he's exploring things because he's got his giddy up um, leadership campaign going. One of the interesting things, because he seems like a pro business Democrat, people forget just how progressive he was when he started the Chinook Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, Chinook Fund, and kind of they backtracked from that when he was the mayor. But if he's up, if he's actually making a run, if he's up against Bernie, if he's up against Elizabeth Warren, we might hear about the Chinook Fund again, and we haven't heard about that for a long time. He also brought beer to the state to the governor's mansion. Three, t- he's got beer taps that he's leaving there. Hope Jared Polis appreciates them. I hope it is too. A quick follow-up: If you had five bucks to bet on it, does he run for Senate or President? Maybe both. Oh, you get creative. All right. The partial shutdown of the federal government continues into its third week this week. The lack of open facilities and plowed roads at Colorado's national parks seem to be the highest profile impact in Colorado. Meanwhile, Senator Cory Gardner made headlines on Thursday saying to Nine News that he supports ending the shutdown without funding for a border wall. Ian, with only plowed roads and restroom facilities at Rockman National Park making headlines, do you think many Coloradans 
care much about the current federal impasse. Sure. I, I mean, I think people want their government to work, and I think they want it to work well. Gardner pivoted immediately to his 2020 re-election the second that, you know, November 6, 2018 was over, and he's smart to do that because he is, according to every single prognosticator out there, the most vulnerable, endangered senator in the entire country, and for good reason. And on Nancy Pelosi's first day in office, he stepped in and caved right to her and said, what that Nancy Pelosi's got down the hall, I really like what that lady is doing. That didn't work out so well for Mike Kaufman, so I'm not really sure what kind of game he's playing. But yeah, I think people really want their government to work and work well. I mean, the wall, right? It's Trump's magnum opus. It's the thing that he cares the very most about. And Corey just backed away from it. So he's going to need a coalition of Republicans and unaffiliated to win re-election. And right now, he just alienated his own party pretty bad. Krista, so Senator Cory Garner comes out against the wall, but it doesn't seem, at least in the short term, that Senator McConnell is going to let a vote come to the Senate floor where he's going to be pushed to be one of these votes that would actually matter. So it seems like a safe position to do. It's popular, but you're not going to get pushed into it publicly in a C-SPAN or something like that. Maybe I'm being cynical or wrong or both. It's happened before. What do you think? Senator Gardner is not uh, capitulating. He's not being a pushover. What he's doing is he's, he's... modeling good governance. Uh, Shutdowns are stupid. I mean, whether it's the the piling up of poo at our national parks or whether it's the fact that there are a lot of people who aren't getting paid. And some of those people are living paycheck to paycheck and now they're borrowing from friends and family. So we don't need to do this. We we definitely need some more money for, for border security, but do it in the back room during compromises when you've got staffers and you've got the appropriations process. This kind of stupid public showdown is all about TV time. It's not about real people. And I love the fact that somebody's wearing the big boy pants, and that is Senator Gardner, who said, you know what, we're going to get some border funding. Let's do it the normal way. Let's be, you know, let's, let's be public officials. Let's do what we're supposed to do, which is the work of the people, and let's end this. Patty, is the shutdown a big deal here in Colorado? Well, I think for the same reason Ian says so. People want their government to work. Why do we have a government if it's not working? So, yes, we need to get the shutdown ended. The other thing is that Trump had two years, two years to do something if he really wanted to do something about the stupid wall. I think the fact that Gardner is saying this is not the thing to do, this is not the way to go about it now, kudos to him. Maybe it is going to play better in his reelection. Maybe his reelection is in trouble, but that doesn't mean that he can't be right about something. Ross, uh, Trump and Trump's base want a wall. The other 60% of America could care, couldn't care less about a wall. Does border security become the new border wall? Well, I hope not. A lot of the trouble that we're in right now, Donald Trump has caused himself, in particular with that 17 minutes that he did with Chuck and Nancy in front of the TV, where he said, I'll take the shutdown, I'll take the mantle, I'll proudly shut it down. That's why we're having this problem, because... Putting aside the rhetoric of the wall, better border security is popular with the public. Trump is, and I don't often say this, but he is on the right, clearly on the right side of this issue, broadly speaking. But the fact that he keeps coming back to concrete wall, concrete wall, then he'll say steel slats one day, concrete wall. He doesn't have the message straight. It makes it very hard uh, for him to be in a good negotiating position. But, look, I like Cory Gardner a lot. But I think there's a mistake on on Corey's part. Donald Trump is in a position where he cannot back down at this point. And the only possible scenario in which Donald Trump wins politically without wall funding is if it's a shutdown that takes months. And then he says, I'm going to be the big boy and open the government. 
and then we'll get a wall. But can you imagine what the country would be like if there's a shutdown that takes months? I don't think Trump can back down. I don't think he will. And I don't think he should, even though I'm not a huge fan of the wall. Here locally, the Denver City Council unanimously voted to not approve a proposed red light camera expansion due to comments from Councilman Kevin Flynn, a, a veteran from this very table. Flynn made the point that the length of the yellow lights at many of these intersections are only at the federal minimum of three seconds and could be exp- extended to possibly solve the issue. Uh, Krista, to walk in at something at the city council level that was supposed to be a slam dunk and completely turn the entire dais his way is pretty impressive, only armed with a stopwatch. Uh, what did you think of what came out of the council this week? You know what? I think Councilman Flynn is actually the star of that, of that council. He's super smart. He's the one that actually raises interesting objections to foolish plans. And, you know, red, lights, uh, red light cameras can be a deterrent for, re- for, for breaking the law. They can also be a way to generate money by manipulation, and that is you keep the, the yellow lights, uh, the timing very short, and then you have the red lights, and then you just make a lot of money. And that does not actually contribute to public safety. Lengthen that yellow light out, give people a chance to get through that intersection. If people continue to run the red light, then put up a, a camera. But otherwise, I think, I think Flynn is dead on. Patty, what do you think? As a veteran of this table, we know how smart Kevin Flynn is, but once he got into city council, that was at least the jury was going to be out. Uh, what did you think of the idea? Oh, he did a great job. And the thing is, let's remember Kevin Flynn, longtime journalist, really strong journalist, covered City Hall, knows the issues and knows that sometimes common sense is required. And he went out with a stopwatch and his wife, and they just timed things and they figured it out. So Sometimes you don't need months of study. You need someone who uses common sense. And so good for Kevin Flynn. You just need a Kevin and Harriet date night. Mm-hmm. And exactly. <laughs> uh, Russ, what did you think? Did the city council make the right call? Of course they did. Um, I had Kevin on my, on my show to talk about this a day or two ago. And one of my frustrations was that the traffic engineers uh, of the city who were responsible for this kind of thing, I mean, why did it have to be left to Kevin Flynn to do this? I've been on top of this issue for a long time. It's actually the first issue I ever talked about um, on on a big radio station here in Denver. And everybody who studies this issue knows that the number one thing you do to fix people running red lights is lengthen the yellow. Everyone knows. And the fact that it had to be left to Kevin Flynn to do that is, is really quite outrageous. I'd also note that the city of Aurora, by a two to one margin in November, voted to eliminate their red light cameras and Aurora's red light cameras are gone. And does this issue maybe come back because it is a pretty solid moneymaker for the city? I don't know. I mean, the city just increased taxes a whole lot thanks to the voters <laughs> saying True. yes to everything, which I thought was tremendous. Um, but look, the, the issue of red light cameras are, is a bipartisan issue. Down at the legislature, there have been bipartisan bills every single year for the last four or five years going to eliminate the entire program altogether. Municipalities come out and scream bloody murder about revenues and safety and all this stuff, but they can never actually demonstrate it makes things any safer. You know, it's really just about revenue. So I'm actually pretty libertarian about this. I think we get rid of all of them. They don't improve safety. They end up hurting people more than they end up not hurting people. And quite frankly, they're very unpopular. So find another way to bring in revenue. The economy is doing really, really well right now. Let's get rid of all the red light cameras. We had consensus on two of five topics in this show. That was very impressive. It is time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week, as always. Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, here in Colorado, where people 
are very conscious of the environment. They're conscious of climate change. They might disagree about what to do, but we're going to be hearing a lot about it. You look at the Department of the Interior, which seems to be reading the weather with a toaster. <laughs> you have them now backing off on transparency, which is outrageous. You've got David Bernhardt going in. He's been called the swamp monster, taking over for Zinke. It Maybe permanently, maybe not, but it is an outrage what is happening with the Department of the Interior. Russ. Mitt Romney uh, published an op-ed in the Washington Post, which he probably thought was going to be his magnum opus, but it got him nothing but blowback from left and right attacking Donald Trump's character. And it's not that Mitt Romney is wrong about Donald Trump's character. It's that the timing of this op-ed was ridiculous, and all it did was give uh, aid and comfort to the enemy. So Mitt Romney's op-ed is my disgrace of the week. Timing felt a little bit odd because it's only a couple months away from embracing the endorsements. Uh, you kind of, you know, uh, which side are you going to be on? Ian, how can it not be Donald Trump? I mean, the guy has every single business and foundation that he's associated with under investigation, including his inaugural committee. Mueller is tightening the rope every single day, knocking down rooks and king and knights and and uh, you know bishops along the way, coming in really, really close. Same thing he did with the mob. So, and then Trump decides to throw a huge temper tantrum over not getting his little wall for Christmas, and now everybody is looking at him like we're going to keep the government shut down for months or even years, according to a headline we saw right before the show started, over a stupid wall that is very unpopular with the vast majority of voters in this country. It's going to be Trump until he's out of office, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Krista. You know, I'm going to give it to Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib for saying she wants to impeach that MF. Can't say it on air. But, uh, you know, her and her ilk, I don't think she understands what impeachment's about. It's for high crimes and misdemeanors. It's not for just being a jerk, which is, I think, what I think Trump's main crime is, is being a jerk and bad on policy and also probably paying off mistresses before he got elected. But that's it, right? That, that That's not exactly high crimes and misdemeanors. That's called... Um, I can't say that either, but I, I, uh, that, that, <laughs> it's problematic and let the voters decide in 2020. But I tell you what, Mueller's report is not going to be a magnum opus. It's going to be a couple of lines about uh, obstruction of justice, somebody not paying their taxes, and somebody paying off their mistresses. That's not an impeachable offense. Indeed. Uh, it's time to see something nice about somebody rather quickly. Patty. Uh, next Thursday, the stock show gallops through town. Love traditions. We almost lost the stock show in Denver to Aurora. They've got their Gaylord now, which seems to be doing well. And next Thursday, the stock show parade with Dana Crawford as the Grand Marshal. Russ. In St. Paul, Minnesota, there were a bunch of grown-ups standing around a pool in an apartment complex. None of them knew how to swim. A guy was drowning in the pool. And, uh, an 8-year-old boy, 11-year-old boy, named Advake. Uh, I can't even pronounce his last name. So uh, Nende Couture jumped in and saved uh, an adult drowning man uh, when none of the adults around could. Here, here. Ian. I want to say congratulations to my wife, Senator Brittany Pedersen, who got sworn in to the state capitol today, served six years in the House, and now her first year as a state senator. Pretty amazing. Krista. I read about a woman who filled an entire dumpster with blankets and little coats that she knitted for pound puppies. So, um, you know what? I think what a beautiful gesture. Get out there and adopt. Do not shop. Adopt a pound puppy. Here, here. We want to send our best wishes to our good friend Joey Bunch, Colorado Inside Out's own bon vivant. Joey has been a little under the weather over the last couple of weeks. I think our Christmas sweater special may have upset his gentlemanly constitution. Get well, Joey. We are all thinking of you. For everyone here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.